Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Mark, the third chapter. It's on page 838 this morning. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. Let me challenge you to keep your Bibles open this morning. We're going to do something we don't normally do. We're going to go to several other passages. I normally stay in one place and really try to focus on that. But we're going to pull some things together this morning. So make sure you keep your Bibles open this morning. I'm going to begin reading in the 31st verse, just a short passage, Mark 3, 31. Mark says this, And Jesus' mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to Jesus and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to Jesus, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Jesus answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat around him, Jesus said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, my sister, and my mother. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. We've been looking at Mark's gospel, his story about Jesus. He tells us things about Jesus in a way that's, that helps us understand the gospel very specifically. He begins the very first part of chapter 1. This is the beginning of the gospel. And that's what we want to know. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? We celebrated, I remind you again, in December, the birth of Jesus. And many people believe that Jesus came into the world. But why? What was the point? Well, that's what we're studying in this series. Is what was the reason why Jesus came? Today, though, we want to look even more closely at what we see. And I want to do something different than what we normally do. I want to show you how to study a passage of Scripture. Many of you took the challenge I gave at the beginning of the year to read through the Bible this year. We want to do more than just read words and have them come into our minds and then slip right out our ears. We want to learn how to read the Bible so that we can get the most from it. So this morning, as we walk through this passage, I'm going to stop along the way and show you what it is that we're doing so that you can wring more from the biblical text when uh, you are reading your Bible every day. So the first thing we want to do is we want to walk through the story that we just read. That's the first thing when you read your Bible. What is taking place here? What did I just read? Have you ever been reading along and you're about halfway through a story and you realize, wait a minute, what's going on here? You're reading the words, but about as quick as you read this sentence, you forgot the previous sentence. When you're done reading a passage, just stop and ask yourself, what just happened? What did I just read about? Don't ask yourself what it meant. Don't ask yourself what you're supposed to learn from it. Just what happened? And here's a simple tip. If you don't remember, then you didn't read it closely enough. Go back and read it again. What happened in the story? Well, in this story, there are two parts. The first part is Jesus' family comes to him. In verse 31, we're told that Jesus' family came and they wanted to talk to him. 
But what were they doing there? Well, drop back to verse 20. Mark 3.20 tells us this. Jesus went home and the crowds gathered there so that they could not even eat. Verse 21. And when Jesus' family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, Jesus is out of his mind. What were they doing there? They were there to forcibly take Jesus home to Nazareth. Because, to use a technical term, and I don't like using this because of my background in psychology, and I use, I don't like throwing terms around like this, but technically what they thought was Jesus had blown a gasket. Something's wrong with his head. The word literally in the original language means he was beside himself. He was outside of himself. He was nuts. That's what they thought. Why? Either because of his teaching, the things that he was saying about himself, or because of the risk he was taking. He had given up a steady job, for goodness sake. He was a carpenter. I gotta believe that Jesus was a pretty good carpenter, don't you? And that meant he was probably getting good business. Right? He walked away from that. And the family's like, what is he doing? He's walking away from his job. He's telling people crazy things. Second, he was jeopardizing his safety because he was challenging the most powerful people in that culture. And his brothers and his mother were probably thinking, this is not a good way to get ahead. This is a good way to get in trouble. And so they were coming to take Jesus home, put him on some medication, let's get him under control. Things will be better. The second part of the story is Jesus' response. Very short passage. We're told that the family came to take him home and Jesus has a very short response. He says, let me tell you who my family really is. They said, your mother and your brothers are out there. And Jesus says, no, not really. This is my mother and my brothers right here. Those who do the will of my father, that's my family. In the Eastern culture, then, as it is today... Family was hugely important. And Jesus is saying, I have a family. I've got a very important family. But it's not who you think it is. That's what happened in the story. Obviously, the family got his point because they left. They didn't take him home. They got the message and they went back home without Jesus. That's the what of the story. What happened? The second part of Bible study, though, is not just to read and to to find out what the text says happened. The next part is, well, what does it mean? We don't want to just have information in our head about places and dates and people. Okay. So what does it mean? Obviously, Mark is not telling us this story just so we know. That Jesus' family didn't believe in him. What does it mean for us? 
This is where we look and say, what does this mean about the kingdom of God? So now we move from history, what happened, to theology. What does it mean? Well, just quickly, I went through the story, and I found about five things that we learn theologically from this passage. As we go through it, see how many you saw as we read the story. Number one, Jesus is telling us that not everyone is part of the family of God. Not everyone who is born physically is part of God's kingdom. Just being born does not make you a child of God. That is huge because most people today refer to every, oh, everyone is God's child. Well, in a generic sense, since all life comes from God, then generically everyone is a child of God. But not everyone is specifically a child of God. The Bible clearly teaches that only some people are children of God. If everyone is part of the family of God just by being born, then Jesus' words here mean nothing. Because what he says is, my family is not those people out there who want to come and take me home. My family are those who do the will of God. So he's telling us, number one, not everyone is part of the family of God. Number two, not everyone we think is part of the family of God is really part of the family of God. Not everyone who appears to be a follower of Jesus is really part of the family of God. Jesus didn't say to the crowd sitting there, everybody here who's following me is part of the family of God. He didn't say that. He could have. These were people who were crowding around to listen to what Jesus had to say. But Jesus did not affirm all of the people there and said all these people are part of the family of God. No, he got very specific and said only those who do the will of the Father are part of the family of God. That's important. Many of the people that were there that day were there for what Jesus could do for them. They were following because they wanted food. They were following because they wanted healing. Jesus said, it's not about what you can do or what you want God to do for you. It's about whether you're doing God's will or not. Many of them were there for the show. It was exciting to see what Jesus was doing. Number three. What we learn in this passage is if you are part of the family of God, there will be outward evidence to show that we are God's children. Keep your finger here. Turn over to the back of the New Testament to 1 John chapter 3. It's all the way toward the back on page 1022. Before Revelation... First, second, third John. Go to first John. Chapter three. First John three ten says this. By this it is evident who are the children of God. 
What's John saying? This is how we know. This is the evidence. This is how it's seen. Who is a child of God or not? By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. There is outward evidence, there is outward proof that we are following Christ. And he says here, it's by practicing righteousness. We are not children of God because we do righteous things. Let me reiterate that. We do not become children of God because of what we do. But when we become children of God, we will do righteousness. Are you with me? This is critical because too often we, oh, you're saved by grace. You're saved by the death of Jesus on the cross. There's nothing we can do for salvation. And then we say, well, then I don't have to do anything. You're right. You don't. You don't have to become, do do anything to become a child. But when you're a child, you better do something. That's what's expected. To use the human analogy, your children didn't have to do anything to become your children. Right? It wasn't their decision. They didn't have to do anything. You said, okay, well, now you can be my child because you've done enough. But... When those little boogers come out, we have some expectation that they're going to do something. Amen? And we don't say, well, you're my child, doesn't matter what you do. No, we say, you're my child, and it does matter what you do. Now get up and clean your room. Well, do I have to clean my room to stay your child or to be your child? No. You have to clean your room to stay alive. They don't do anything to become your child, but once they are your child, they're expected to do something. How is God any different? There is external evidence. There will be something that will show that we are God's children by the way that we live. Now what happens is, though, we give too many people and sometimes ourselves what I call the nice guy pass. Oh, I'm a child of God because I'm a really nice guy. I don't do bad stuff. Now listen, speaking the truth of God's word does not make us judgmental. Speaking the truth of God's word makes us honest ambassadors for Christ. We need to speak the truth. And that means we need to look at somebody and say, listen, what's going on in your life? You think you're a child of God, but there's no external evidence of that. I saw this one the other day. A man actually claimed he did not believe in God. But when pushed, he said, but I'm going to heaven. What? If there's no God, then there's no heaven. In his mind, I don't believe there's a God, but if there is, I think I'm going to heaven. And God's standard is so low, you don't even have to believe in him. And God's like, that's fine, you're good to go. That's ridiculous. 
If we are children of God, there will be external evidence to back that up. Number four. Following Jesus will change our family relationships. Turn over to Matthew chapter 10. The first gospel in the New Testament. Page 815. In Matthew 10, beginning in verse 34, this is Jesus talking here. Matthew 10, 34, he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. When Jesus comes, he disrupts, and in some cases he destroys our family relationships. Jesus' own family didn't believe in him. They came to take him home because they thought he was out of his mind. Now think about that for a minute. When they came for Jesus and they were going to take him home because he was out of his mind, they were acting like an earthly family. Come on, if they really believed that Jesus was crazy, then of course that's what they should do. They should take him home. Take care of him. But by acting like his earthly family, his brothers were showing that they were not part of his spiritual family. Because they were not doing the will of the Father. Listen, when we preach the truth that Jesus is the only way to heaven, we will have division in our families. The gospel is not a call to play it safe. The gospel is not a call to try to get along. And oftentimes, we'll try to keep peace in the family because we won't talk about politics, we won't talk about religion, because we don't want to upset anybody. The gospel will cause problems in our family relationships. It will. Number five. Our relationship with God when we become His children means we have a whole new family. This is important. When we come to Christ, we gain a whole new family. A spiritual family. Back in the day, People in the church would not refer to each other by first name. Mr. or Mrs. Remember back in the day? It was Brother Tom, Sister Mary. We were affirming our spiritual family relationship. Yes. We may lose our earthly family when we follow Christ. But we're going to gain something much more. 
a spiritual family that we're going to have forever. Now, the third part of any Bible study, you don't just look at it, what does it say? You don't just look at it for what does it mean theologically. Third, you have to look at it and say, now what does this mean for me? How am I supposed to apply this to my life? You see, if all we do is talk about what happened or what it meant, that's simply an intellectual thing in our head. We're not to just read our Bibles for information. We are to read our Bibles for application so we can apply it to our daily lives and be changed. Otherwise, what's the point? If we read in our Bibles that the Bible says, do not lie. And we read it and say, well, I can see what that says. It says, do not lie. And what that means is, God is opposed. Theologically, we learn, God is opposed to lying. You are absolutely, 100% on the right page. And if you close your Bible and go out and lie, you didn't learn anything. And when you stand before God, what are you going to say? Well, hey, I knew you said don't lie. I knew that theologically you were saying that you're opposed to lying. It doesn't matter if you don't apply it to your life and start speaking the truth. Now, what do we learn from this passage? What does it mean for our lives that Jesus says we've got a whole new family here? This application part is where we bring it down to our specific lives on how we live, not at church, but all week long. So we don't put on our churchy stuff when we come into church and then take off our churchy clothes when we go home and live like the world. So pay attention. What do we learn from this passage that we are to apply to our lives? Well, here's a question just to get the ball rolling. Are you a member of God's family? Are you? Jesus is very clear. Not everyone is part of his family. So don't just assume you are. Why do you think you are? Most people will look at their lives and say, well, I live a reasonably good life. I don't do really bad stuff. Therefore, I must be part of God's family. But Jesus didn't say that, did he? Jesus, in the passage that we began with today, didn't say that if you don't do really bad stuff, you're going to go to heaven. If you don't do really bad stuff, that's who my mother, my brothers, that's who they are. He doesn't say that. He's very specific. Those who do the will of my father are my brothers, my sister, my mother. We just assume that we're part of the family of God because we want to believe that. But Jesus shows us that it's not that simple. What makes us part of the family of God is not human DNA. And I know some people will say that. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah. My parents were both Christians. My uncle was a minister. They'll tell you that. 
As if you can be born a Christian because of your human parentage. No. It's not about human DNA. We are God's children when we are born of God, when we get God's DNA. Too often what happens is we follow God because of our agenda. You know what I'm talking about? There are people who will pop up in church when they need something. And then when that need is not there anymore, they drift away. Then something happens in their life and they need God again, they pop up in church again. That means you're following God because of your agenda and what you want God to do for you. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you're my brother, you're my mother, you're my sisters, as long as you want God to do stuff for you. He said, no, you are my family if you do the will of the Father. Not where it's our agenda, but where it's God's agenda that matters to us. If we are rejected, if we are misunderstood by our families, listen to me, we're in good company. I would love to have heard the family discussion before they came to get Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? They didn't just find themselves outside, well, let's take him home. They came with that in mind. We're going to get him and take him home. Well, they must have had a family meeting. I'd love to be sitting there listening to what they were saying about Jesus. His own family. And Mary was there. Mary, the one that the angels came and spoke to. She was right. Had it been my mother, she'd have backed him, smacked him on the back of the head. What are you doing? What do you think something's wrong with him? He's the Messiah. He thought he was nuts. If you are misunderstood by your family, you're in good company. Jesus was too. He experienced strained family relationships because of who he was. In Eastern cultures, in many cultures even today, to become a Christian is to be cut off from your family. Let me challenge you with this. If your family doesn't think you're a little crazy, you're not following Jesus closely enough. Do you hear me? How many of us, our families are perfectly content for us to be part of the church? They don't care. They're not worried about it. Yeah, they go to church. Doesn't matter. If you aren't causing your family to kind of look sideways at you and to wonder about you, you are not following Christ closely enough. Because disciples of Jesus live by different values. We take risks in our lives that non-Christians won't do. And our non-Christian family won't understand why are you doing that. Understand, they don't care. You can come to church twice on Sundays. They don't care. 
but start living out your faith in your daily life and see what happens. Turn down a very lucrative job because, well, that's just not God's will for me. What? Look at all that money you're passing up. Start making decisions because of your relationship with Christ and see what happens in your family. We don't stop having an earthly family just because we become Christians. Of course, Jesus is not teaching us that our earthly family relationships don't matter at all. But our earthly relationships are to be subordinated to come underneath our spiritual relationships. Jesus himself, when he was on the cross, remember what he was doing? He said to his relative, John, you better take care of mom for me. Remember? He wasn't just up there doing the will of God and forgetting about his mother. He made sure that his mother was being taken care of. But he was also, number one, focused on the will of God. That's why he was dying on the cross. He didn't say, well, I can't die on the cross. Somebody's got to take care of mom. He's doing the will of God even as he's thinking about his mother. The church, our spiritual family, is not made up of perfect people. Churches are made up of mixed up, messed up people. Look around the room here, people. We are a dysfunctional family if there ever was. Okay, I hear people all the time, they leave churches because, well, the people there aren't perfect. Well, who said we were? We're crazy, most of us. We don't stop being crazy just because we come to Christ. We're messed up. That's why we came to Jesus. Yes, we are declared perfect by Jesus and His work on the cross, but we're still a mess. And our church family will be a mess. But as long as we share a commitment to doing the will of the Father, following Christ, to obey His will, then we are born again and this is our family. Now let's go a little bit deeper. Go back to that passage we looked at a minute ago in Matthew. Chapter 10. I want to read a couple more verses exactly where we left off. Page 815 again, if you lost your place. Matthew chapter 10. This is what Matthew records Jesus as saying. Beginning there in verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See what Jesus says there? If you don't love him more than you love your family, you're not his disciple. Now, drop down two more books to the Gospel of Luke. Page 874. This is Luke telling us the very same thing, the same teaching of Jesus, but he takes it a little bit further. 
Page 874, Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Matthew says that Jesus said, you got to love me more than your family. Luke says, you got to hate your family. No, he doesn't mean that we literally hate our family. But he's teaching something important here. And that our, our relationship with Christ is to be the most important family relationship that we have. Jesus is teaching us about priorities. In the starkest of terms, Jesus is letting us know that our relationship with him is to have priority in our lives. To us, what happens when we become Christians is we get a new family. I have my earthly family, my physical family, and now I have my spiritual family. That's what we think. But the Bible doesn't teach that we just pick up a new family in addition to the family we already had. This new family takes priority over the old family. Or what Jesus says, if it doesn't, then you're not my disciple, period. It all boils down to this. We have made God a priority in our lives where he comes before some things. But nowhere in the Bible are we told that God is to be a priority in our lives. God says he is to be the priority in our lives. Nothing else is to come before him. Nothing. Now the key is to find balance with these two lives. Our earthly family and our life with them and our spiritual family and our life with them. The key is to find balance. But balance does not mean equal. It means having the right priority. It means appropriate. Let me give you an illustration. Your spouse likes to play video games. Nothing wrong with that necessarily. But every time you want your spouse to do something with you, he wants to play video games instead. Is that okay? Or do you say to your spouse, listen, I want to be a higher priority in your life than video games. Now, how is that any different from God saying he wants to be the highest priority in our lives? Oh, but, but pastor, God is my highest priority. How many of you are thinking that right now? Not if you're saying no to God so you can do family stuff. Are you with me? Oh, God is my highest priority. But I've got some family stuff to do. How about this? For the next month, why don't you keep track? 
every time you say no to God because you're going to do something with family, put a one in the family column. Every time you say no to your family so you can do something for God, put a one in the God column. At the end of the month, add it up. You see, there's a stark difference between how we see ourselves as putting God first and how we actually are putting God first. You see, we have to choose. We want to be part of both families equally with those who believe in our earthly family and with those who don't. The sad truth is that many people in the church will spend more time with their earthly family, those who don't even believe in Jesus, more time than they'll spend with their church family, those of us who do believe in Jesus. We'll spend more time with those people who reject our God outright. And we'll know more about them, we'll hang around them more than we hang around our church family. Something's wrong. This isn't about legalistically living our lives by rules. We saw that last week. Yes, yes, we say that God is our number one priority. But our choices show that we value family more than we value God. I know that sounds harsh. I get it. But if your spouse keeps telling you how important you are, but your spouse has no time for you, eventually you're going to say, I don't care what you say about how important I am. Your actions show me I'm not that important. And you wouldn't be okay with it. Now let's get really nasty. If I haven't gotten nasty enough, let's take it to another level. You pull out your bulletin when you come into church, and we have different things that are listed, different opportunities for service, different opportunities for Bible studies and all. Before you say yes to any of those things, how many calendars do you check first? You check your work calendar. Am I working? Because if I'm working, I know I can't do it. We'll check our family calendar to see if there are any family events going on. We'll check our doctor's calendar. Do I have any doctor's appointments that day? We go through all these calendars, and if nothing else is going on, then maybe we'll consider it. See the problem? If we never say no to our family, how is God our number one priority? Boy, it got quiet here. We choose to do all this family stuff and put God on hold, but I love God. Really. Jesus said, if you don't put me first, and the distinction between me and your family should be so great, it's as if you hate them. No, we're not supposed to hate them, but there's supposed to be no question that God comes first. 
Jesus tells us that our family, our true family, is those who do the will of the Father. And God says that His will is that we put Him first. And if we are not putting Him first, then we are not doing His will. Now, how many of you here today have a serious burden? Seriously. For lost people in your family. People that you know do not know Jesus Christ and they're part of your earthly family. They don't know Christ. They don't follow Christ. They don't claim to be believers. Nothing. You know they are spiritually dead. There's no life in them that you can see. Now here's the question. Are you listening? How do you think you're going to lead them to put God first in their lives when they consistently see you putting them ahead of God? When they see us choosing all these other things over serving God, how are we going to lead them to be sold out for Jesus? Parents, where do you think your children learn to be mediocre in their faith? They learn it from watching their mediocre parents. That's where. When our lost family sees us consistently choose them over God, do you think they're going to come to Christ because of your example? And then ask yourself again how much you really love your family. Oh, I love my family. I want them to come to know Jesus. Really? You love them so much that you're not even going to point them seriously to Jesus Christ. You love them so much you're going to set a bad example for them on how to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Does that sound like love to you? You want to be a good parent? You want to be a good grandparent? Great! Then show your family that God is absolutely the most important thing in your life, bar none. There's nothing that takes priority over Him. And that means you look at them sometimes and say, No, I can't do it. I've got a commitment to God that I'm going to keep. When we never say no to our family because we immediately say no to God first. And we say, oh, God will understand. God will understand. I've got this going on with my family. I've got that going on with my family. I hear people all the time. they got bridal showers, baby showers, Sunday morning. Well, my family scheduled it at that time. Then you look at your family and you say, you know what? I won't be there until after church. They knew that you come to church on Sunday morning and they scheduled it that time anyway. And if they get mad, say, well, then why in the world did you schedule it at a time you knew I wanted to be in church? I'll be there at 1230 when church is over. Well, it'll be over by then. Well, that was your choice, wasn't it? You chose to pick it at a time and make me choose between God and you. Well, you lost because God wins. And you'll tick people off. But that's okay. 
Because then they'll start seeing that you take this God stuff seriously. We cannot point people to a serious relationship with Jesus if we're not taking it seriously ourselves. Last question. Jesus' family came to take him home. He was told that they were out there and he says, no, 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 no. My family are those who do the will of the Father. When Jesus looks at you, does He see someone that does the will of the Father? Our theme for 2016 has been to be connected. To be connected to God and connected to our church family. We blow in here, we sit down for an hour, and we blow out of here hardly making contact, hardly having a relationship with people. I hear people all the time, oh, I don't need to go to church. Really? Is that why you go to family reunions? Because you need to? No, you go because that's my family. I want to. This is our family. As scary as it is, this is who we're going to be with for all eternity. We just won't get to know each other. Because this is our number one family. Right here. Is that what you want? To be connected with your spiritual family? Or do you just want to come to church once in a while? Father God, we're thankful today for the stark reminder that Jesus has given to us about what it means to be a child of God. We're thankful, those of us who have committed our life to Christ, You've made us your children. But God, some of us here today are great church attenders. But we haven't made that move to become children of God. We're still trying to have both feet. One in the world, one in the church. Kind of balance the two together. God, help us to hear Jesus say clearly, if you don't choose me over your family, you cannot be my disciple. God, I pray for the lost people who are sitting here today who are comfortably believing they're okay. Just assuming that they're right with You. Assuming that when they die, they're going to heaven. Even though Jesus said, only those who do the will of the Father are part of Your family. God, take the blindness from our eyes. Lift the blinders that are keeping us from seeing Your truth break our hearts this morning that too often we choose to be with our lost family members rather than being with our saved family in Christ. God help us to be so sold out that our earthly family thinks we're crazy. Thinks there's something wrong with us. Because nobody takes this God stuff that seriously. God help us to go live that way this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.